Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Thank you. Good morning, good morning. That was much better than the whole panto. Good morning, everyone. Um, so I'll take the pack down over that. Um, can I add to all of the welcomes I've no doubt you've already received this morning? And for those of you watching on the live stream, good morning to you too. It's a real privilege for me to be opening the scriptures for us this morning. Many of you I know well, and some of you not so well. And so if we haven't actually got the chance to meet yet, my name's Jamie. I'm married to the wonderful Celine, and we've been around this community for the last five or so years. For the last few months, I've been volunteering a day a week with our youth team here, focusing on youth discipleship, which is why this morning is a little extra special as we launch our first ever youth mission team to Albania. I'm going to get my requests in real early. Pray for us. In the course of four weeks next July, we'll have led a team of young people to the far side of Europe, and then we'll take another two busloads of people down to camp. So we need it. For real though, God is changing the lives of our young people here and it is a profound joy to watch unfold. If you were here last week, you'll have noticed There we are. If you were around last week, um, you'll have noticed we shifted into a slightly different gear as we stepped into Advent together. Advent is a season of waiting for Christ's arrival, but as Dana reminded us last week, our waiting is not wasted and it certainly isn't inactive. Rather, it's a period of preparation, like that of a host preparing the table for their guests to arrive. I don't know about you, but as I have slowed myself down this week and tried to embrace the period of Advent, either through my own Bible reading or praying through Habits at Home with Celine, I've become painfully aware of just how unnatural the whole thing feels. Christmas is the season of stress. These weeks are the sprint towards the finish line. It's not time to pump the brakes. There's things to do, people to see, and obviously none of you will know this one because you're much more prepared than I am, but there's presents to pick, buy, and to wrap We've entered Advent, but as Dana said, life just keeps on lifing. It clearly didn't get the memo. And as we feel Advent and Christmas pull us in opposite directions, it leaves us with this question. If Advent invites us to wait, to prepare for Christ's arrival at Christmas, how do we actually receive him in the midst of it all? That brings us to our teaching text this morning, Isaiah chapter 9. It's page 473 in the Black Bibles, if you'd like to turn there with me. In these verses, we see the prophet Isaiah announce to Israel that their hope will not be deferred forever. That although they're a nation divided, many of whom are living under exile, a day is coming when things will be made right. Just like the words of the prophet, Advent interrupts the reality of our lives, calling us to lift our eyes to the horizon and wait in hope as the dawn sun begins to pierce through the dead of night. 
Isaiah chapter 9, 2 to 7. Come, Holy Spirit. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The word of the Lord. There's been a fiercely contested debate rumbling through the rows from around the start of November, and it's one that rears its head every single year. Is it too early to put the tree up? How soon is too soon, and inevitably we'll get to how long will be too long? Now, some of you have had it up so long, you must be bored of it by now, and others maybe still don't have one up just yet. Does anybody not actually have one up? A couple? Okay. I'd love a way to gauge who we judged more harshly. Either the people who had it up at the start of November or the people who still don't have one up. Now, I'm not going to weigh in on the debate, although archery has been up for weeks now. But I think that this trivial debate about timings and trees is symptomatic of a much bigger tension that we uniquely experience as followers of Jesus at this time of year. Not of sooner or later, but the tension between ancient faith and modern culture, the secular and the sacred, more specifically, the tension between two holidays, Advent and Christmas. For those of us who are pursuing Jesus, we find ourselves around the holidays, living between two calendars that overlap just enough to look the same, but at the heart of them offer competing visions of the Christmas holiday. Brian Zahn puts it this way, we have a secular calendar to coordinate our lives within a secular age, and we have a sacred calendar to form our lives through the gospel story. Yes, the two calendars share a few days in common between Christmas and Easter, but how they approach the holy days is really very different. Now, let's just clear one thing up right at the beginning this morning. I am not coming for Christmas. I love the markets and the mulled wine, the lights, the parties, the tradition, the smells, the stories. But the reality is, Christmas as a three-day holiday at best cannot withstand the weight of expectation and anticipation and longing that we load it with. Add to that the constant commercializing of the holiday, the insatiable demands for more, the pressures of hallmark perfection. Is it any wonder we stumble into the frenzy of the 25th and fall back into our sofas, come the game of trivial pursuit and utter, well, that's it for another year. 
As we participate in Advent, as we allow anticipation to build day on day, story after story, we prepare our hearts and our homes for Christmas to arrive in full force, the culminating feast of a long, rich holiday, not a fleeting event on the way to the next thing. Advent is not anti-Christmas, but when we hold the two as integral parts of the whole, we see the holiday deeply enriched. This is the good news of Advent, that we embrace our frail humanity in all its fullness, that we slow down and savor the beauty of friendships and family and food worth feasting on, that we see through winter's darkness with bated breath the light of the world moving closer and closer towards us. I wonder if you've ever found yourself arriving into Christmas week and whether over coffee with a friend or a passing remark to a spouse, find yourself saying something along the lines of, you know what, I'm not really feeling very Christmassy this year. Maybe it's just one of the mannerisms of this wonderfully strange wee place, but consciously or unconsciously, I think we all carry around with us a bit of a Christmas checklist. A list of moments we mark on our way through the holidays that determine just how Christmassy we're feeling. In our house, we are no different. It begins subtly with the changing of cushion covers, maybe some small decorations littered around. Then with the odd Christmas song sandwiched into a playlist, scented candles, movies, the tree, the bakes, the list goes on and on. But where Christmas has us constantly chasing the next thing, Advent forces us to stop, to take stock of what we have, to move beyond the distraction of superficial wishes and acknowledge the deep longings that we hide in our hearts. When Selena and I got married was the first time that I realized I had my own checklist. And of course, Celine had hers. Celine, having grown up in Germany, brought with her a host of traditions and foods and all these little holidays within the bigger holiday that I wasn't even aware existed. And of course, I had my things. And as we have learned to share those, we've created new traditions that we check off together as we move through December. Although admittedly, Celine has many more than I do. Here's a game to play with yourself as you listen to the radio in the car or you watch TV with the family this Christmas. With each ad or slogan you see, ask yourself, what is that particular company or brand trying to convince you that you need? You see, I think marketers have picked up on this idea of things that need ticked off for you to feel your most Christmassy and now pour reserves of cash into adding themselves to that list. This is where we see Advent and Christmas collide. We see that to follow Jesus with our whole lives means not merely saying yes to him, but that it requires us to say no to some things that distract our devotion. We learn to live at his speed, attentive to his voice. As we wait through Advent, we realize that our deepest longings cannot be Amazon primed. 
The excessive demands and expectations of modern Christmas are simply the water we swim in, the cultural climate that surrounds us. And so, of course, the practice of waiting and wanting are entirely unusual to us. But when we embrace Advent as an act of holy resistance, we come to see that it is the antidote to surface-level spirituality, inviting us deeper and deeper into the abundant life that we long for and that Jesus promised. One author puts it this way, to keep the sacred at the center of our lives is an heroic act of defiance. Amorphous spirituality or faith in name alone too easily becomes little more than a mood. We need something more rigorous, something more deeply rooted, something that draws upon the deep wells of ancient wisdom and practice. This is what we find in the great tradition of the Christian faith. Friends, can I suggest this morning, this is exactly what we find in Advent. Through Advent, we learn to follow Jesus in the grittiness and earthiness of our everyday real lives, not treating him as some separate part of it. Advent gives equal permission to the jubilation of Messiah come and to the doubt and disillusionment of Joseph, to the lament of the psalmists, how long, O Lord, and to the wonder of the worshipping Magi. Advent is robust enough to hold all states of being where Christmas cannot, embracing each stage of the human experience and allowing hope to be birthed in the hearts of the beloved. Where come Christ's birth, we can join with the prophets in saying, we have seen a great light in the land of deep darkness, a light has begun to dawn. Through our waiting, we are forced to confront the tension of opposing realities, that of light and dark, creation and recreation, of Christ come and Christ to come again. Through the incarnation, Christ is making all things new. He is redeeming all things. But at the same time, we see our souls ache for the day when all things will be made new once and for all. In the vineyard, we call this tension the now and the not yet. The kingdom inaugurated on the earth through Christ's life and ministry, but a kingdom still to be fully realized at the end of the age. Advent is the in-between in which we live. From the first witnesses of the ascension to those who will herald Christ's return, Advent is our state of being as the church. We experience the first fruits of the kingdom every time we see the sick healed, the sinner saved, or the poor served. But we know all too well the suffering that still exists in our own lives and the world around us. Wars, economic disparity and uncertainty, a refugee crisis, an impending climate disaster. Is it any wonder Paul writes that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, in the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God? 
Advent, viewed as a formation practice, cultivates the hope of renewal in our souls. The joyful anticipation deepens through our waiting, as Eugene Peterson puts it. And so, what in your life longs to be liberated? What do you long to see renewed through Advent this year? Advent stares the reality of whatever we're facing dead in the eye and says, even into this, come, Lord Jesus. There cannot be anything too big, too hopeless for the hope of Christ's arrival to permeate this Christmas. Otherwise, this is a meaningless gospel. The very story of the incarnation is of God putting on flesh, being born through scandal into the stench of an animal barn, under threat of death from Herod and fleeing for his life as a child refugee to Egypt for safety. Through the nativity, we are assured that no element of the human experience is too daunting, nor is it denied by Christ. Just as a weightlifter builds strength through a disciplined gym routine, or as a runner prepares for a marathon, so Advent trains us, however difficult or unnatural it may feel, to cultivate hope in our hearts. If that is true, and if it's also true that Jesus is in fact moving towards us, how then do we receive him through our waiting? I want to suggest two ways this morning in which we can receive Christ this Advent. Receiving him personally and receiving him through community. There's a bit of a misconception that lurks in the shadows of church life. That goes something like this. A blessed life equals an easy life. Or at its most explicit, the degree of challenge I face in my life is in some way in direct proportion to the presence of God in my life. The thoughts of God's absence or doubts of his goodness come to all of us. In the triviality of the flat tire you get when it's blowing a gale or when you don't get that parking space at the front door. But it also comes in the tragedy of a diagnosis the pain of relationship breakdown, and the finances that just seem to be unraveling at the seams. Through Advent, we see that the promise has never been eased, but that it has always been his presence. And that through our waiting, he bids us come with whatever we have to bring. We've given a significant portion of the last few months to debunking the myth of Jesus only moving towards those who have their houses in order, the tidy, the mature, those with it all figured out. But we've come to see time and time again that moving towards Jesus with all of the mess and chaos we carry with us, it's an act of faithful, it's an act of faithful obedience rather than a marker of anything being in order. Making him the boss of our whole lives, not just the sanitized parts. Do you ever wonder what would have happened if Jesus had been born in the privilege of a palace? Would that have been a Jesus we'd have felt we'd feel comfortable approaching? Well, 
I don't really think it is. Imagine I wrap up here, you say your goodbyes, and as you walk out of the building, Taylor Swift or Leo Messi or insert your celebrity of choice is standing at the door to greet you. How you interact there as you nervously fumble through some polite how-do-you-do's is poles apart from how you would hold a conversation with the guys from the shops across the way. In the nativity scene, away from the spotlight and rid of celebrity, we see the intent of the Savior to put himself in the places where his people already were. Where modern Christmas offers itself as a temporary distraction, putting the stuff off to the side. Advent holds two arms wide open saying, bring it here in hope of renewal. John Wimber, founder of the vineyard, had a remarkable understanding of the redemptive nature of suffering. He was a man who performed miracles we can only dream of seeing. He led scores of people to faith and birthed a movement that has planted hundreds upon hundreds of churches around the globe. But at the same time, the same man prayed faithfully for his friend's healing that never came and ultimately died of cancer himself. He saw the now of the kingdom like few others, and he knew all too well the not yet. Writing in the late 80s, he said this, everybody gets it. Everyone has problems in their personal lives or in their families or in their career. But blessings alone will not produce the fruit he's looking for. Thus, we find ourselves on the one hand on a great pilgrimage towards the promised land, towards the fullness of life in the kingdom of heaven. But at the same time that God is about the business of getting us into heaven, he is also about the business of getting heaven into us. Suffering is not a sign of God's absence, but one of the primary environments of encounter, formation, and redemption. As we bring our whole selves to the table this Advent, we learn, as we've read in our readings this week, that our transformation is not waiting for us at some future destination. It's woven into our journey along the way. While Christ comes to anyone who opens their hearts to him, one of the primary ways in which we receive him is through other people. We often say that if God wants to speak to you, he'll usually use other people to do it. And that's certainly been my experience. At this time of year, what is notoriously the busiest period of the year, it can be really easy to view other people as a distraction, another task to simply tick off. But what if that thing you really needed came through taking the time for a conversation with a friend or a stranger? Over the last couple of months, the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus from Luke's gospel has been a story I've been mulling over in the back of my mind. Two disciples who have been following Jesus for a significant portion of their adult lives have just witnessed his death and resurrection. Sorry, they've just witnessed his death in Jerusalem and dejected they leave, barely able to lift their gaze from the dirt track. As they're walking along, Jesus comes alongside them, veiled as a complete stranger, and asks them, what's, what's going on? Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? 
What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And they start from the start giving Jesus a full account of all the things that he himself has just experienced. Now the distance from Jerusalem to Emmaus is about seven miles, about three hours. And so Jesus sets out with them. As they reach the town, the disciples insist on inviting the stranger to eat with them. As they sit around the table and pour themselves wine, Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. And as he breaks it, he reveals himself to the disciples within the context of hospitality and community. As the men welcomed the stranger, unknowingly they welcomed Christ himself. And so as we welcome and are welcomed this Christmas, let us expect the anticipated Christ to arrive through others. One of the proudest things I am a part of, or one of the proudest things I'm part of here, and honestly, one of my deepest joys is um, is our All Nations Meal that we host here once a month. For those of you who maybe aren't aware, once a month we open up the venue um, for a big potluck-style meal for members of the surrounding area who have found themselves here from another country, usually through um, war or conflict. All Nations started because two people in our community wanted to extend radical hospitality to those who found themselves in a strange land, battling our funny little accent, and offer them a safe table to sit around and build a new community to support their new lives. And so in the autumn of 2022, we hosted our first meal here. We had no idea how it would go or who would turn up, but we had around 40 people and by all accounts a fairly successful evening. Come the end of the summer, we had moved from the room at the back into this space. And fast forward one year, that 40 people has now become 80 plus people on a regular basis, representing 11 or so different countries and cultures. Why do I tell you that? Other than the fact that I have a microphone and a captive audience, I say that to say that our experience as a team has been that in welcoming complete strangers, we have been deeply enriched by it. We each have our own stories of profound experiences we've had over meals here. And in fact, I'd go so far as to say profound experiences of God's presence. Worship team, can I ask you guys to jump back up? And if you're able to, would you mind standing with me as we, as we come in to close? The reality is, I have no idea what each of you carry in with you this morning. And I have no idea what you'll face as you walk back out the doors but I know with certainty that Christ is here. He has both come and he is coming again. A few weeks ago at youth, we had a ministry moment just like this where we took some time to name what we were carrying into Advent. And I'd love to lead us through that again this morning. And so even if it feels a little uncomfortable or unnatural, can I ask us to lay our hands out in front of us? As you lay your hands out, either with your eyes open or your eyes closed, why don't you begin to picture your life at the moment? 
What's really good? What's really difficult? Now that we've arrived in Advent, what has arrived with you? This morning, what do you need to stare at the face of and through gritted teeth bring to the nativity and say, even into this, come Lord Jesus. For some of us, just naming that thing is the wind today. But for others, you've known its name for a really long time. And this morning is the morning for us to lay it down. If that is the group of people that you find yourself in this morning, we want to create a moment for you to encounter the hope of Christmas again. As the band lead us in a song, some of our staff team and tribe leaders are going to be along the front. And we would love to pray for you. As we've said already, if you want to hear the voice of God, he'll usually use someone else to do it. If you don't find yourself in that group of people this morning, we would love to create a moment. We did this in the 9.30, sort of unintentionally, but we'd love to create a space for you to just move to people you see around the room. And so if you do need to receive this morning, please keep your hands out in front of you. And, And if you're not being prayed for, actively be looking for people to pray for yourself. And so as we come to respond, let me pray for us. Spirit, we acknowledge that you are here. And in this moment, we open our hands and our hearts to receive you again. Lord, into the darkest corners of our world, into the darkness we hide deep in our souls, would you come and with new hope, fresh hope be birthed in us again. Lord, we long for the day when all things are made new. And so in this moment, we long for you to come. Make us new, we pray. Come, Lord Jesus. And so this morning, if you would like to respond, um, some tribe leaders, why don't you begin to make your way down to the front? And as we sing, please just come and we'd love, love to pray for you.